Well, all right. This morning we are going to be resuming our series entitled At the Crossroads with God. And so in this series, we're looking at several people or groups of people who came to a place of decision, came to a crossroads in which they were forced to choose between following God's plans or following their own plan, and it made a difference for eternity. You know, some decisions we make really don't matter much at all. Like if I call you up and interrupt your day, you know, and say, you know, I've come to a decision. I've thought long and hard about this. I'm going to have Sprite instead of Coke with my chicken nuggets today. Well, I mean, who cares? I mean, that doesn't matter at all. So some decisions make no difference at all. But then there are some decisions that affect our lives either in the short term or in the long term. And then there are some decisions that have eternal consequences. And so far in this series, we've looked at Peter, Andrew, James, and John in Luke chapter 5, as Jesus called them to leave their nets and to follow him and become fishers of men. And then the next week, we looked at the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, who chose worldly possessions over following Jesus. And so today, we're going to look at another guy in the Bible who came to a crossroads with God. Now, this guy... His story is one of the most remarkable, surprising, eye-popping, outlandish, and sometimes humorous, but I think ultimately tragic stories in the Bible. The guy's name is Balaam. How many of you have heard the story of Balaam before? Well, fasten your seatbelt because you're in for a wild donkey ride this morning. Now, Balaam really blew it. In Jude chapter 1, verse 11, um, Jude's talking to them about certain ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality. And he says this about them. He says, they have rushed into Balaam's error. And so the title of the message this morning is Balaam's Big Bad Blunder. And his story is found in Numbers chapter 22 through chapter 24 and in a few other passages as well. And so what we'll do is we'll progress through the story together and see what we can take away and apply to our lives. We'll get through, I think, probably about the first half this week, and then next week we'll look at the second half. All right, would you bow with me in prayer over the Word of God this morning? Oh, Heavenly Father, God, this is your Word, so please give us ears to hear what you're saying to us. Give us eyes to see what you're doing in our lives. Give us a heart to understand, and give us faith to respond. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's unpack this story together if we can. All right, so let me set the scene for you as we approach this story. Right? The Israelites, they're on their way to the promised land. Some 40 years before this, God had delivered them from Egypt. He brought the ten plagues on the Egyptians and against their gods as well. He parted the sea and the Israelites walked through on dry ground while the Egyptian army was drowned in the sea. And he brought them to the mountain of God where he gave them the Ten Commandments and made a covenant with them, saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. And then he brought them to the edge of the promised land. But the first time they came there, they rebelled in fear and they refused to go in. So God had them wander around the desert for 40 years until that entire generation had died off. And so now here in Numbers 22, 40 years have passed. It's a new generation with new promise and, and new hope. And they're headed back to the promised land, which was on the west side of the Jordan River. And along the way, they approached the kingdoms of Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites. 
And they sent word asking them for a treaty to pass through peacefully on their way to the promised land. But these two kings instead came out and attacked them. But they suffered a terrible defeat as God gave them completely into the hands of the Israelites. And that's where we are right now as we come to this story in Numbers chapter 22. And in verse 1 it says this. The Israelites traveled the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. So they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And they're just going to pass through Moab and leave them alone. But in the next verse, we see that the king of Moab, Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites and Moab, was terrified because there were so many people. It goes on to say, indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. It went on to say, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So they're terrified. And with good reason, they just saw two armies get utterly destroyed. And so the king of Moab doesn't want a direct confrontation with them. And that was probably the better part of wisdom. And so he gets creative instead. Look at verse 5. It says, Balak sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor, near the Euphrates River, in his native land. All right, now... Now, now, that sounds a little bit strange, right on the face of it, I think. I mean, who in the world is this guy Balaam? And what in the world is he going to do? I mean, his whole land is covered with this horde of victorious Israelites. I mean, why does he think this one guy can do anything about that? Well, apparently, this guy Balaam is an important person. I mean, they're sending people a long way to get him. The Euphrates River is several days' journey away in another country. And so apparently this guy is internationally known. And going on, Balak sends this message to him, beginning in the end of verse 5. Balak said, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now, come and put a curse on these people because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. Okay, so Balaam appears to have this international reputation for being in with God, that God listens to him and blesses whoever he blesses and curses whoever he curses. And Balak, having seen the destruction of the other two kings near him, seems to have enough sense to realize that, you know, it looks like God is on their side. And if he's going to have any chance at all, he needs to get God off of their side, right? He needs God to curse them. And so verse 7, he sends his people to Balaam with money to pay him to come and curse them. And it says, when they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Verse 8, spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will report back to you with the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite officials stayed with him. Now, when it says the Lord here in, in this verse, the Hebrew word there is Yahweh. So this is, in fact, the one true God who is talking to Balaam in this passage. You know, I know there are some weird things going on with Balaam here, and I, I don't know everything about his backstory. There's some weird stuff there, but whatever that is, this is the one true God 
who's talking to him in this story. And Balaam tells them, you know, I, I need to talk to God before going with you. And, and, and that's good, right? I mean, this seems like it's starting off well. When you're faced with an important decision, it's good rather than just rushing headlong into the decision uh, to, to seek God, to see if God has something to say about it. So let's see what happens going on. Verse 9. It says, God came to Balaam and asked, Who are these men with you? Now, I mean, God knows who they are. I mean, he's omniscient. He's not, uh, he, he knows everything. It's not like he's saying, you know, gee, Balaam, I've, I've, I've never seen these guys before. I don't know who, who they are. Are you going to introduce them to me? I mean, uh, God knows who they are. He's not asking for information. It's his way of initiating a conversation with Balaam. And, you know, I want you to notice that it's God who comes to Balaam first about this. He doesn't wait for Balaam to bring it up to him. And I think this is kind of important because usually in our relationship with God, it's the other way around. God is the more important one, and we're the one who's always going to God with requests, seeking out an audience with Him. We go to Him in faith with requests and petitions, asking for His blessing, asking for His favor, or asking for wisdom or for some other thing that we need from God. And then God responds to us one way or the other. But when God takes the initiative to come to you, to talk to you about something. That's when it's time to really sit up and take notice. That's when it's time to pause. To pause what you're doing, to pause whatever activity that you're involved in, to pause your life, sit up, take notice, take notes, and pay attention. God himself has taken notice that these guys are here, and he wants to talk with Balaam about it. Who are these men who have come to you? And so in verses 10 and 11, Balaam tells God why they came and who they were, and which God already knew. And then in verse 12, God says to Balaam, Do not go with these people. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. Well, I mean, that was quick, wasn't it? I mean, that was kind of blunt, right? I mean, there's no discussion here. There's no back and forth. There's no waiting on God to see... Uh, to discern what his will is. There's no searching out the histories for some kind of wisdom and guidance. No calling of the elders together because there's wisdom and many counselors, right? Nothing like that. Just a really clear and concise response from God. Do not go. Do not curse them. They are blessed. And that's pretty clear. Have nothing to do with these people. Now, right here at this point, Balaam is at a crossroads with God. And we'll, we'll see a little bit later on. Balaam really wanted to go. I mean, a great opportunity had presented itself. A really important man, a king, was requesting his services and would reward him handsomely. I mean, that must have been pretty heady, heady when you think about it. I mean, that would be appealing to anyone. When if someone really important says to you, you know, I really need your special talent. Nobody else will do. And I'll pay you a ton of money. Well, you know, most people would want to investigate that. It would be only natural. He wanted to go. God said no. Now he's at a crossroads with how he responds to God. How he responds, especially in his heart, will lead him down one path or another path. And it's hard to see right now. It's hard for him to see right here, but how he responds in his heart will lead him down one path 
or another. You know, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from that. How do you respond to God in your heart, especially in a difficult time or when God doesn't give you the answer that you were hoping for? How you respond in that moment will determine the path that you follow. And if you're not careful, you can start down a path that's away from God's will. It may be imperceptible at first, but if your heart isn't submitted to God, it will lead down a wrong path further and further away from God. And so Balaam is at this crossroads with how he responds when God gives him the opposite answer that he's hoping for. Let's, so let's see how he responds. Verse 13. It says, The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's officials, Go back to your own country, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. Now, can I tell you, this is one of the most tortured responses, I think, that I have ever seen. I mean, it's obedient and disobedient at the same time. I mean, it honors God and dishonors God at the same time. Outwardly, he obeys and honors God physically by not going. He obeys the letter of what God said. But inwardly, his heart is going with them. In his heart, if his heart were with God, he would have said something like, you know, go back to your own country. The Lord has blessed those people, and they will be blessed. And if you want to be blessed, you should submit to the Lord as well and seek his favor. But instead he says, well, the Lord has refused to let me go with you. I mean, he sounds like a 10-year-old boy who says to a friend, you know, Billy, I, I'd, I'd love to come out and play, but my mean old dad says that I have to finish my chores first. You know, my life stinks. And, and, and in saying it this way, he kind of communicates to these people that he really wants to go, that he really wishes he could go. And he seems to plant in them the idea that, you know, maybe there's still some possibility. You know, it's possible to obey God outwardly, but not inwardly. And when that happens, it creates a divide in our hearts. So what the Bible calls being double-minded. Balaam, at this point, is experiencing what James described in his letter when he said, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given you. But when you ask, you must believe. In other words, you must believe God and, and trust God. You must believe and not doubt. That is not doubt God's plans and intentions. You must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a, a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And as we progress through this story, we're going to see that that's exactly what happens to Balaam. He becomes more and more double-minded and unstable. All right, going on, verse 14, he says, The Moabite officials returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. But Balak, he doesn't give up, right? Maybe his officials told him, you know, he said that God refused to let him go, but he really seemed like he wanted to come. Or, or maybe he just figured Balaam was holding out for more money or something. But whatever it was, verse 15, Balak sent other officials, more numerous and more distinguished than the first, 
they came to Balaam and said, this is what Balak, son of Zippor, says, do not let anything keep you from coming to me because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. You know, have you ever noticed that when you don't deal with some issue in your heart, some temptation in your heart, the temptation finds a way, just seems to find a way to keep hanging around and keep coming back to your doorstep? I mean, often if you don't deal with an issue and submit to God in your heart, you often end up taking a path that leaves you open to the possibility of coming right back around to that same temptation Again, you know what I'm talking about, right? You find a way to obey outwardly, but leave open the possibility of revisiting the issue down the road. And and that's what's happening here with Balaam. The temptation comes back to him. Going on in verse 18, it says, But Balaam answered them, Even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could do nothing. I could not do anything, great or small, to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now, all right, that sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, what a statement that is. Uh, even if it gives me everything in this palace, I, I, I can't go beyond what God says. I've got to be faithful to God. I mean, what dedication there, what faithfulness, right? But going on in verse 19, he just keeps talking. I mean, he should have stopped talking there, but he just keeps talking. He says, now spend the night here so I can find out what else the Lord will say to me. What else? I mean, what do you mean, Balaam, what else the Lord will tell you? I mean, it seems to me he's been pretty clear, right? I mean, he's pretty clear the last time. Do not go. Do not curse them. They're blessed. I mean, God came to you and told you without even you waiting to ask him about it. Don't go. I mean, that's pretty clear, right? So what's going on here? Why is he expecting God to tell him something else? Well, this is the double-minded person. He knows what God says. And what God wants, but he goes back anyway, seeking a different answer. The the single-minded heart would have said, you know, so don't even unpack your bag, guys. Just go back to Balak, tell him it wasn't about the price. I'm not trying to negotiate with you. I'm just not coming at any price, all right? So don't send any more officials to me. But instead he says, you know what, just hold on for a minute. Stay the night, and I'll go talk to God again and see if he says anything else to me. Let me see if there's a way around this. And I think he's thinking, you know, maybe there's a way that I can obey God and get this money too. You know, God, this is an awful lot of money here, you know, and, uh, and I could do an awful lot of good for your kingdom, you know. And, uh, you know, God, maybe you haven't considered this from, from all angles. Let me see if God might say something else about it. He's come to a crossroads. And he's trying to see if he can walk on both paths at the same time time. Maybe I can have both God and what the world offers me as well. Going on, verse 20. It says, that night God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to, come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. All right now, this isn't God changing his mind, all right? This, this is God seeing Balaam that is bent on going with these people, and so God says, all right, fine, go with them. It's, it's, it's God acknowledging Balaam's free will. It's God's permissive will. God allows him to go. And not God wanting him to go. It's God saying, all right, since you want to go so bad, fine, have it your way. But you better listen to me. 
You better do only what I tell you, right? So he lets him go. But he's still graciously trying to deal with his heart. And he says, do only what I tell you. Now notice here that he expands his instructions. He's saying, you know, up until now, Balaam, you've been saying, I can only say what he tells me to say. But here now God also adds, don't do anything unless I tell you to do it. It's like God is saying, listen, in going with these guys, there's a temptation that's going to come your way that you wouldn't experience if you just stayed put. So not only don't say what you shouldn't say, but don't do anything unless I tell you to do it. Going on, verse 21, says, So Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. And so off we go, trying to walk on two paths at the same time. And this is where the story here just begins to get a little wild. I mean, uh, look at the first part of the next verse. It says, But God was very angry as he went. And so clearly, I mean, Balaam is just not getting the message here. I mean, God's angry with him, and he's going down the road singing, Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day, my, oh, my, what a wonderful day, right? And he thinks everything is just coming up roses while, while God is very angry at him, and he's completely misreading God in this situation. And going on in verse 22, it says, And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. You know, sometimes God opposes you when you're on a reckless path. You know, the Bible says he disciplines those he loves, right? Sometimes God brings disciplines into the lives of those he loves. And so the angel of the Lord here is opposing him. Going on in verse 22 and 23, he says, Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field, and Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. All right, now, this must have been quite a scene. I mean, to me, th- this is really humorous to me, because, I mean, imagine you're one of those officials who's traveling with him, or maybe you're one of Balaam's servants, and there you are, you're on the main road to Moab, and everything's going fine, you know, and all of a sudden, Balaam is there, and his donkey, and, and Balaam just all of a sudden turn off, veer off the road, and, and into a field for, for no apparent reason. And so everyone else just kind of stops on the road there and wonders, you know, you know hey, what, what's up with the prophet over there? And, you know, maybe this is some p- weird prophetic thing or something. You know, he just turned off the road, went into the field there. He's just sitting there uh, in, in the field. And I think if it was me, I would have been like, hey, uh, hey Balaam, um, is something you want to see in the wheat over there? You know, I mean, you know, we've got a lot of wheat over here in Moab. You know, maybe we ought to get back on the road. It's over here, you know, because we're on the clock here. We've got to keep time here. And so, so Balaam gets down, and he beats his donkey to get it back on the road. And the only one who knows what's really going on is the donkey. And the angel of the Lord was standing there with his drawn sword in his hand, and the only one who saw it was the donkey. The only one with any discernment at all was this donkey. And so Balaam beats it, they get back on the road, and then it says in the next couple of verses, verse 24, 25, it says, Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyard, with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. And so, so here we go again. I mean, we're going along fine, we're making good time, right? And suddenly, for no reason, you look, and Balaam's donkey, instead of just going down the, the center of this pathway between these two walls, seems to go to the side, right up against one of the walls, and just keeps on walking there, crushing Balaam's foot against 
the wall as, he, as he's walking. And it kind of looks like this donkey's maybe trying to get around the angel some, some way, right? And, uh, and so Balaam, I mean, he's off his donkey again, and now he's beating it again. I mean, and it really looks, I think, he looks to me like he's losing it. And again, the donkey is the only one who sees what is happening. The only one who sees the danger. The only one with any discernment is this donkey. All right, and so apparently he finally gets the donkey back on the road. Balaam gets on again, and they're all going again. But not for long, because verse 26, Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. All right, so... Now there's no place to turn off into a field. There's, there's no chance of pressing one way to get, get around the, this angel either. You know, sometimes when you're on a wrong path, when you're on a reckless path, God has a way of hemming you in and closing out your options to get you to listen to him, to get your attention, to get you to a place where you really don't have many other options, but to begin to listen to him. And so going on, Verse 27 says, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he was angry, and he beat it with his staff. Now, how often, when things aren't going right, and God brings correction through oppositional kinds of situations, instead of asking, you know, God, are you trying to tell me something here? Is there something that I should be seeing? Is there something that I should be aware of? Am I going astray some way here? How often do we instead just dismount and try to beat the situation into submission. Thinking, you know, if I just keep beating on this situation, you know, I, 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 can, I can conform it to my will. If I, I can fix things if I just keep beating on it here. And you know what? That's what Saul of Tarsus was experiencing. That's what he was going through. When Jesus knocked him off his high horse and he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. Jesus was telling him, Saul, you know, I've been giving you all of these annoying and difficult situations. I've been sticking you with them like cattle goats to try to prod you to come to me and have faith in me and trust me, but you just keep kicking against all of my proddings. You know, if I just keep beating against this situation, I can make it work. You know, God might be saying, hey, hey, you know, you're on a wrong path here. You've got something wrong in your heart here that's not right, that's leading you astray, down a wrong path, right? But we just keep beating the situation into submission. You know, I, I think if I'd been there watching, I think by now I would be seriously questioning if the king got the right guy here. I mean, he seems really unstable. And why not? I mean, he's double-minded. He's trying to walk two paths at the same time. And, and then it gets even better, or, or worse, I think, maybe. Verse 28, it says, Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Okay, now, I mean, that's a little bit wild, isn't it? I mean, now the donkey is talking, and that should have been enough to make everyone just stop in their tracks there. I mean, what in the world? The donkey's talking, and the, and the amazing thing is, Balaam talks back. Like it's normal or something. Verse 29, it says, Balaam answered, answered the donkey, you have made a fool out of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. <clears throat> I mean, this looks like that old show to me, like the honeymooners. It's like Balaam saying, you know, one of these days, donkey, pow, right in the kisser. I mean, one of these days, donkey, you're really going to get it. I mean, this looks really ridiculous. And it's, and it's 
really dysfunctional too. I mean, not only are Balaam and the donkey talking, but they have a dysfunctional relationship. And so the whole procession is stopped again. The prophet's arguing with his donkey. And look what he says. Look how he answers the donkey's question. I mean, he doesn't say, you know, you're wasting time when you turn into a field. You know, you hurt my foot back there. And now you're just wasting everybody's time. You're so inconsiderate. He doesn't say anything like that. Instead, he says, you've made a fool of me. You're embarrassing me. Nobody else's donkey's turning into a field. No one else's donkey's crushing their foot. No one else's donkey is sitting down in the middle of the road for no reason. Just you. What's wrong with you? It's an embarrassment. You're making me look bad in front of all of these important people. Verse 30, the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you've always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? And Balaam answers, Well, no. And it's like the donkey's saying, Hey, Einstein, look a little closer in the microscope and see what's really going on. You've been missing it. And oh my goodness, we're in the middle of a full-blown therapy session here. And I think if I was there, I would have just dismounted whatever I was riding and sat down and found a comfortable place because we're going to be here for a while, right? And finally, in verse 31, it says, Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. Now, this should have shaken him to the core. It should have. It's, it's abundantly clear now that God was opposing him. He's on a reckless path, and God was almost ready to kill him. He had almost killed him. But look at his response. Verse 34. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. Uh, I, I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you're displeased, I'll turn back. I mean, I almost don't know what to say here. I mean, I, I just can't with this man. I mean, this should have been, God, forgive me. God, have mercy on me. My heart's been wrong. God, uh, I've been trying to obey on the outside and not on the inside. I've been, I've been trying to walk on two paths, God. I've been reckless. God, please forgive me. And then he should have turned to the people and said, Hey, guys, I'm sorry. This was a big mistake. I'm going back for good. Tell Balak that those people are blessed. And if he wants a chance at all, he needs to honor their God. But whatever you do, don't send any more people to me. I'm out. I mean, that's what should have happened. But instead, he sa it says, If you're displeased, I will go back. And then he appears to stand there just waiting for a response. I mean, think about that. What in the world? I mean, what more do you need than God saying to you, I'm opposed to this, you're reckless, and I almost killed you? I mean, I think I'd have gone over to the donkey, looked it in the eye, and said, you know, I am so sorry for getting you mixed up in all of this and putting you in harm's way. When we get back, it's not just hay for you. It's anything that you want. Apples, carrots, pears, whatever you want for the rest of your life, right? Then I would have hightailed it out of there as fast as that donkey would have carried me. But Balaam just stands there like he's waiting for an engraved invitation to turn back. Because I, the angel actually hasn't said the words, turn back and go home. And so he's like, you know, I'm getting mixed signals here. 
you know, if you're displeased, I'll go back. Just, just, just say the word, and I'll go back. I mean, how can he be like this? Why, why can he be like this? It's because when he said, I have sinned, it wasn't the expression of true repentance. It wasn't from a heart change. This is not like David when the prophet came to him and said, Thou art the man, and he said, I have sinned, and there was genuine repentance in his heart. It's more like King Saul when the prophet Samuel uh, said that God had taken the kingdom from him, and he said, you know, I've sinned, but go, but go back and honor me in front of the people, right? It wasn't a sincere repentance. It wasn't a deep repentance. It's the expression of someone who was caught and has no excuse, but who doesn't really want to change and still wants to walk on both paths. He still wants to find a way to obey God outwardly and have the rewards of the world as well. And so now he's trying to manage God the way someone maybe manages a difficult celebrity personality or something. He's, he's asking, you know, what right thing do I have to say to get you not to judge me and still I can get what I want from the world? He's still reckless. And so God responds in verse 35. It says, The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. And so here again, as before, God honors Balaam's free will. He steps out of the way and continues to let Balaam go onward. This is not God changing his mind here or changing his plan or changing how he feels. It's God allowing Balaam to express his free will. And so God is still warning him, though. Speak only what I tell you. There's a danger. God keeps on warning him, but Balaam continues on with Balak's officials. He continues on trying to follow two paths at the same time. He continues on in a double-minded condition. You know, when God keeps warning you, the wisest thing to do is humble yourself and seek God in repentance. Well, that's a good place to stop this week. Next week, we're going to get to the rest of the story. But as we get ready to conclude this morning, I have a couple closing thoughts. All right, Balaam, is a double-minded man. As James warned, it causes him to be unstable in everything that he's doing. He speaks like a child of God, but acts like a child of the devil. He never says anything wrong, but he never does anything right. His head is filled with the things of God, but his heart is filled with the things of the flesh. He's double-minded and unstable. And God wants us to have a single-minded devotion to him. And so if we're going to do that, there's several things from this story that I just want to draw your attention to as we close. First is this. We cannot put ourselves and our own interests ahead of God's. God must be first in our lives. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things that you need will be added to you as well. And then second, you cannot love the world and love God at the same time. I mean, James tells us that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And then John defines this worldliness as the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You can't love those things and love God as well. And then lastly, God requires honesty of heart. He requires integrity of heart. I mean, you can't deceive God. You can't manage God or manipulate God. You can't fool God with your words. 
because he's a God who weighs the motives of the heart. And so God is much more concerned with what we actually do and what we actually think than what we say we'll do or claim to think. The psalmist said it this way, Behold, you desire truth in the inmost parts. So may God give us that kind of an undivided heart. Would you bow with me in prayer as we close this morning? Oh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and your spirit. God, help us learn from Balaam. Give us hearts that are pure and sincere before you. Give us hearts that are honest, God. Help us to do and follow your will, even when it's difficult, even when we receive the opposite answer that we were hoping for. Help us seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, knowing that you have a way of adding to us everything that we need. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week living in the grace and the mercies and blessings of God.